Hello and welcome to what promises to be another very exciting episode of the AABIP podcast. I am honored to be in the presence of Dr. Samira Sojai. Dr. Sojai is the program director for the Interventional Pulmonary Fellowship Program at VCU in Richmond, Virginia, and she is an associate professor there. Dr. Sojai, thank you so much for your time today. Udi, thank you for your time and thank you so much for inviting me. So today we'll be pricking Dr. Sojai's uh, big brains uh, on the topic of diagnosis and management of uh, chylothoraces, and we'll probably focus a little more on the management aspect. Dr. Shojai, any relevant conflicts of interest with this topic? I have nothing related to this topic that is a conflict. Awesome. All right. So let's get started then. So let's start with the diagnosis of uh, chylothoraces. So in the appropriate clinical setting, is the gross appearance of pleural fluid being milky sufficient to diagnose a chylothorax? Um, so that's a great question. And no, it's not. Um, there is actually a good, um, but probably up to half of the patients may not even have a milky pleural uh, effusion. It may be cloudy. It may not even be cloudy at all. Um, it has to do very much with the patient's diet. And what I um, uh, usually have in the back of my mind, I don't routinely, I know a lot of people that measure and check cholesterol and triglycerides very routinely in their pleural fluid analysis, especially the first fluorosynthesis. Um, unless I suspect chylothorax upfront with it, I may not necessarily get the triglyceride and cholesterol routinely, but if I uh, get the results and they don't make sense and, um, and I don't have a diagnosis for the patient, then I will definitely, um, and I have to do the drainage again, then I will definitely send for triglycerides and um, consider chylothorax, uh, even if the pleural fluid was not cloudy at all. So the traditional threshold we use for triglyceride level is greater than 110. So let's mm -hmm. say I have a patient with esophageal cancer. He hasn't been eating in a long time and he has this pleural effusion. I suspect it could be a chylothorax. I send a triglyceride level, it comes back at 80. Is there any utility in checking uh, lipoprotein electrophoresis or is this 50 to 110 threshold sufficient in your mind? Uh, you know, I would still check. I like your, I, I love your example. It's perfect. Esophageal cancer, not eating. It's the, it's the right scenario. Um, unfortunately, uh, these patients are malnourished and aren't eating, uh, but um, um, I, I would, I would send lipoprotein uh, analysis uh, just to verify and see chylomicron in the pleural fluid, um, just to make sure that I give it a definitive diagnosis. Mm -hmm. uh, the triglyceride levels aren't, by the way, always um, meeting our cutoff criteria. Uh, sometimes triglycerides may be lower and the patient could still have chylomicrons in the pleural space. So I think if there's any doubt, um, I, I usually uh, do uh, check to verify. Not, not if the triglycerides are already above uh, threshold, but if they yeah. aren't. So we have a patient with a chylothorax and we're going to proceed with discussing the management. But as an interventional pulmonologist, is there any utility in confirming the site of leak with a lymphangiogram or lymphocentigraphy Or is this something that we would, uh, you know, leave to IR or surgery if one of those approaches are considered down the line? So I would, I would return a question to you with it. I would say, uh, do we know what's the cause of the chylothorax? Because mm -hmm. um, it really depends on whether the cause is traumatic or non-traumatic. 
Um, most cases, uh, I, I think you would still benefit from knowing where uh, the fluid is coming from, the chyle is leaking from, but, uh, but it's not always helpful. First of all, you can't always find it. Secondly, in patients who, uh, let's say if a patient has uh, metastatic uh, lymphoma, end stage, very sick, I, I wouldn't send the patient to have a lymphangiogram. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they have uh, concern about a possible traumatic chylothorax uh, or post-surgical, let's say a patient had a nymenectomy or a lobectomy or another form of surgical procedure, um, then I may approach that differently. So it really depends on, I, I think it depends on the etiology or at mm -hmm. least narrowing down that differential diagnosis so I could get a sense of what possible etiologies are there. Okay. So then let's- Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Yeah. So, okay. uh, and I'll come back to that a little bit later. So let's just jump into the management. And um, of course, the way you manage a chylothorax would, I guess, largely differ on the etiology. And mm -hmm. we can broadly classify this, I guess, as traumatic chylothoraces, which include the iatrogenic group of post-esophagectomy, post-pulmonary uh, resection, and then the non-traumatic group, which includes multiple etiologies. Yeah. So let's say I have a patient with a non-traumatic chylothorax. Let's talk about the malignant chylothorax, just because probably that's the most common one we'll encounter. Does everybody get conservative management with uh, medications and diet, and how do you approach this? Um, not everybody does, as is the case. Um with a lot of the questions, um, it depends is always a good answer, but, uh, but I'll elaborate. So uh, it depends on the patient's symptomatology and is this the first time that you're getting a chylothorax? So if I have a patient come in for the very first time and they have a chylothorax and um, I diagnose it upfront um, and I follow up with the patient and the fluid doesn't come back, um, I may not really I may not really do anything else besides watching the patient as they're go going through their treatment. There's a good chance that my fluid analysis um, happened at the same time where a patient was having mediastinal exploration and was diagnosed with lymphoma and already got radiation. Um, and by the time they um, may be due for a new thoracentesis, their chylothorax has already improved following radiation. So it really it really depends. And uh, so to address your question in terms of medical therapy, if you consider, let's say, radiation therapy and chemotherapy under that umbrella, then, um, then I would say those patients would benefit from getting some form of less conservative, less surgical treatment uh, before, before you escalate. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if a patient comes in, has large volume of fluid come out of their chest, and I uh, let's say drain two and a half liters, it's all chyle. This has actually happened before um, where I would drain the fluid and I would test it and it would clearly uh, show that it's a chylus uh, effusion. Um, and then the, patient, the patient's chest is filled up again in three days. Then I'm concerned um, just knowing that you flow about 2.5 liter of chyle in your thoracic duct per day if I drain two and a half liter every day or every other day, uh, then, there, then we have a problem. The patient is very likely to become very immunosuppressed and, um, and, and very sick and, and malnourished very, very quickly. So then I may be a little bit more vigilant about getting the patient through a more invasive procedure because I think the progression of disease is very, very fast. Mm -hmm. So, so let me clarify. So to diagnose a chylothorax, you need a thoracentesis. So your thoracentesis initially is diagnostic and therapeutic. 
and you drain the space. If there is no signs of early recurrence, that may be sufficient is what you're saying, right? That's correct. But if it does recur, then you go into doing something else. It depends and, on how fast it recurs. So, and you mentioned a very dramatic threshold of two and a half liters a day. So in that situation, I'm, I'm sure that a patient needs some sort of invasive intervention, right? Whether it's IR or surgery, when, if you're really pouring out Kyle. Absolutely. So let's say somebody has 500 cc's a day reaccumulating. You've placed a chest tube. You know about 500 cc's a day is coming out consistently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, are these uh, the patients that you would initially try first on conservative management? Yes, I think that uh, yes. So that's thanks for clarifying. That's a good example. It's uh, well, chylothorax isn't very common, but if you have a malignant chylothorax, that's probably a common, uh, a more common presentation. I would still start with the treatments that you would do for a patient who even has a traumatic uh, chylothorax. I would uh, change the diet. I would focus on uh, decreasing the amount of fat or the certain type of fat, especially for some of these patients, they're already malnourished. So they may benefit from, you know, I would ask a dietitian to see them. They may just replace their uh, fat with um, medium chain fatty acids, for example. Um, And so that could significantly change things. Octreotide sometimes helps. I've actually had a patient get started on octreotide and change their diet and go through chemo and radiation uh, with the hope that they would respond. Um, And if they don't, and they continue to have um, fairly moderate size but consistent volume of fluid, then I would move to to more invasive uh, procedure. But I would probably start from a more, with a more conservative medical management first. And what is your threshold to use octreotide or do you always use it in patients who have uh, recurrent calothoraces that you are managing conservatively? I've actually only used it in one patient in conjunction and discussion with, and I would, I should have probably said this way up front uh, in a multidisciplinary fashion. So if it's malignant, Mm -hmm. then I always talk to an oncologist and uh, with the agreement of the oncologist and the patient, knowing that they're not going to uh, they're not always going to respond to treatment. Uh, then I would start octreotide. If diet didn't help, if the fluid recurrence is consistent, if drainage is required, let's say once uh, every two weeks of liter of fluid or something like that. Um, and then we would discuss, let's start your octreotide and see if you have any benefit. But that's in a setting where a patient also has um, altered their diet and uh, is still going through chemo radiation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have a scenario now where there's a patient who's either dumping a large amount of fluid a day or has failed conservative management and is still putting out a moderate amount of fluid. You decide to proceed with something definitive, so which is either surgery with thoracic duct ligation or something else, or IR for thoracic duct embolization or disruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned MDD. So is MDD always a part of the next step or do you usually try to consult surgery first and then if you know, it doesn't work out, then maybe IR is the, the second option? Is this, a, so can I clarify, we're still talking about the malignant? I'm talking about a patient who you think would be a candidate for both of these. I'm not talking about a traumatic calothorax, uh, let's say a post-op calothorax or pen- penetrating trauma calothorax. 
Okay. Uh, because I was going to say, if you have a malignant, if I have a malignant case, I would probably not rush to surgery if mm-hmm. they've already failed chemo and radiation. That's usually a sicker patient that I want to be a little bit more, uh, uh, less as, as little invasive as I can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, post-surgical, if the volume of fluid, as you're saying, is uh, uh, large, and this actually uh, just happened uh, two months ago, um, patient with uh, blunt trauma um, came to the trauma, um, um, you know, service and uh, had a chylothorax. And so what we ended up doing was uh, change the diet very quickly. The patient quickly became NPO because they were dumping large volumes of fluid. They already had a chest tube in place placed on the scene during the trauma, and uh, they were putting a whole lot of fluid out. Um, I actually quickly sent the patient to IR. Um, for thoracic duct ligation. Um, surgery certainly is a possibility. Uh, I I, let me clarify, IR for embolization, right? I'm sorry, IR for embolization, I, I apologize. Yes, and lymphangiography. So mm-hmm. uh, the patient would go and would get a diagnostic, so find source of um, uh, leak and then treatment at the same time. Um, uh, ironically, um, as they had started to fast their chylothorax production completely stopped. Mm -hmm. So if this patient did not have as much volume of fluid coming out regularly, I would have probably not sent them for IR. Uh, What I would do is just wait. And uh, many of these patients uh, get better uh, by time. If I, and by time, I mean, I mean, you need to be very, very cautious and careful if uh, you just kind of wait and wait and wait until it's time to pull the trigger. The patient may become very malnourished, but if they're steadily getting better and the volume of chyle is decreasing, you may not even have to send them for a surgical or IR procedure. So you raised two very interesting points. So you, you, you seem to be talking about surgical intervention and interventional radiology in, in the same uh, scope. So if I were to clarify this, it's probably true in those setups where IR is advanced in the sense, uh, in the sense that uh, centers of expertise, right? I mean, I don't think yeah. doing a thoracic duct embolization is uh, everyone's uh, cup of tea. That's Am I correct in saying that? Probably, yeah. Okay, so so either surgery or IR, depending on what setup you're in, MDD is the key. Would that be fair to say? That's fair to say. Uh, if I if I had both of those, I would send the patient to IR. Just because it's less invasive. Yes. That's the first and- option. Yes, as, as a first option, it's less invasive, and uh, and it also um, it has the same level of success rate. Would you say it has the same level of success in, let's say, a malignant chylothorax as opposed to a no? Talking only about traumatic, traumatic, only yes. traumatic chylothorax. Yes. Perfect. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, the second interesting thing you mentioned is that you know, wait over time, things may change. So let's say you have a malignant chylothorax and the output is somewhere in the three, 400 CC a day range. Is this where like, you know, if you want to wait for treatment to take effect, you can place an IPC and, uh, you know, follow up the patient closely, say in a couple of weeks and then make a more informed decision. So let me clarify what I said earlier. Um, So what I mentioned sometimes with a little bit of time, things can improve. I was talking strictly about traumatic. Okay. Uh, chylothoraces, because they do um, not infrequently get better with um, change of diet, sometimes becoming completely NPO uh, just for a few days. 
but for malignancy, I, um, I personally have not had the same uh, luck with traumatic um, mm -hmm. induced chylothorax. So uh, in malignancy, I think it would be different. Your question about a tunneled pleural catheter. Um, yes, so there is, um, um, there is very little evidence and I try to look at that and the overall purpose of the tunnel pleural catheter or any catheter if I'm uh, trying to manage this. Is the patient short of breath? Can I ask you? We're talking about somebody you know how much they are putting out, right? So let's say they already have a chest tube and uh, oh, they already have a chest. They already tube have a place. chest tube. You know how much output they have on a daily basis. Okay. Do um, they have a yeah. peritoneal uh, chylothorax chyle effusion as well? For the sake of the discussion, no chylosocieties. Okay. Um, so one possible option is to just put a pleuroperitoneal shunt. Mm -hmm. If they already have um, chylus effusion in their abdomen, then um, then that's probably not useful. But if they don't, um, uh, would I put a tunnel for a catheter? I probably would in a patient who is very dependent on the drainage, who is very short of breath, but who's very end stage um, because it's, I mean, you're basically draining all of the T lymphocytes mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and most of the nutritious uh, material from that, uh, from that fluid. And so it's, um, I, I would be concerned about putting a tunnel per catheter unless it is symptom guided drainage, not frequent drainage, let's say once every week drainage or something like that. Um, if your concern is about, well, there's not a lot of fluid in the chest, but it's there and the patient's already short of breath, but they're not benefiting that much about the fluid, wouldn't be too concerned about the fluid being in there just because chyle mm -hmm. generally is not inflammatory. Um, although in the ca case of malignancy, obviously the patient could have uh, other reasons for having septations and um, inflammation inside their chest, but um, I would only put it for the sake of symptomatic management mm -hmm. and um, as a very, very last resort. So I'm going to clarify this again with a scenario that I've had a couple of times this month. So a new diagnosis of lymphoma, patient is otherwise pretty healthy. And uh, they had a chest tube placed because the chylus effusion recurred very quickly. On a daily basis, they were putting out two to 300 cc's of fluid. Uh, so they really could not be discharged, but they hadn't started treatment yet. Um, so in these scenarios where you want to sort of them palliate a patient, but allow them to leave the hospital, mm -hmm. uh, are you saying that you prefer some sort of uh, pleuroperitoneal shunt over a uh, tunnel pleural catheter, or or do you just uh, sort of manage these patients as an inpatient uh, for a longer time and try to get inpatient chemo radiation or something started? Yeah, two to three hundred a day. I would remove the tunnel perk. I would remove the chest tube mm -hmm. and send the patient home. Okay, and then I see them back in a week or so. Or, or, I would have a follow up be... with them in a week or or two weeks. Um, they will go through their chemo radiation. Um, and uh, if they come back in a week and they have, let's say, a liter of fluid in there, um, I would drain it then. Um, and um, I would assess very closely to see if I, how frequently do I need to drain this and are they responding to chemo radiation? If it's a new diagnosis, based on what you were saying, um, I mean, if, if it's only Kyle, if it's not, if it's infection, it's different. But if it's Kyle and it's 200 cc of, uh, 
otherwise precious fluid, I would probably um, I would probably not drain it. I would just remove the chest drain and close up the space and uh, send the patient home. If the volume was larger, then I would probably try with a pleuroperitoneal shunt mm-hmm. as opposed to a tunnel pleurocatheter. With the caveat that there should be no chylus ascites. That is correct, yes. Okay. And just to clarify for our listeners, I guess that's because once the fluid shifts into the abdomen, you, you the abdominal lymphatics, the stomata and the diaphragm that are supposed to be supposed to absorb the, uh, you know, chyle, they're not overwhelmed. So yes. if there's no chyle societies, th- they would suffice in draining all the fluid, right? Yes, exactly. And you would hope that as much as that, uh, that chylus effusion that is possible could be reabsorbed into the circulation. Um, that's why I wouldn't uh, put, I, it's not that I wouldn't put a tunnel per catheter because I would be particularly worried about infection or something else. I would mostly just want to keep the fluid in if possible. Awesome. So this has been absolutely great. You know, this is a topic where there's very little guidance available. Uh, there's no good studies available. Most of the data is retrospective That's and right. practice varies uh, drastically, drastically. Uh, That's correct. From, yeah. from physician to physician, setup to setup, and mm-hmm. this independent of resource availability, I, I feel. So, so your opinions are absolutely, absolutely great. Thank you so much, uh, Samira, for that. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. If you don't mind, just for the listeners, if you can just summarize, you know, the, the management aspect one more time. So, so I'm going to say what I, what I think you said and just uh-huh. correct me if I'm saying something incorrect. Sure. So traumatic chylothoraces, you can take a watch and wait approach, manage conservatively because the output is likely to decrease. If it doesn't, then you proceed to surgery or IR but initial uh, wait and watch is fine with conservative management, correct? Uh, Can I add uh, just one thing that, uh, so you gotta be very cautious about your wait and watch. If the wait and watch is two weeks, that's too long. Mm -hmm. It depends on the volume of fluid drained. If it's it's two and a half liter every day for four days, that's already long. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's smaller amount of fluid and it becomes less and less every day, um, um, and the patient is supported in terms of nutrition in some other form, then yes, I, that's completely correct. So low output, short duration, wait and watch, high output, long duration, proceed with something else. Exactly. And in the non-traumatic uh, chylothoraces, obviously you want to get etiology-driven treatment started as soon as possible. You go for conservative management. Um, if your etiology directed treatment is going to take time, uh, in your setup, you prefer some sort of palliation with a shunt, if at all needed, mm-hmm. rather than an IPC, your threshold to pace an IPC is very high. Yes. Really, you're talking about an end stage patient where it's really, really palliative, right? Yes. And you cannot yes. shunt that patient. Exactly. And, and, and IR is not an option. Mm-hmm. And when they have this intermediate output of about uh, two, 300, you, you basically wait and watch, let the fluid, fluid reaccumulate. If they get short of breath, you'd rather do intermittent thoracentesis and try to buy them more time till their treatment kicks in, correct? Yes, but let's, uh, let's add another scenario to this. So if a patient is needing thoracentesis every two weeks for three months, then obviously that's not, that's not a, a useful scenario either. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in that case, I would look into other options such as pleuroperitoneal shunt 
or IR management. And if they're still not responding, if this is lymphoma, then their chance of responding to radiation is, is fairly high. It's more than 50%. But if it isn't, um, and they're not responding to radiation or chemo, and there's still fluid and it's large volume and nothing else is helping, then I would again put a tunnel per catheter in that patient uh, for, for palliation of their symptoms. Perfect, I think this is very clear. Is there anything else you would wanna to touch upon before um, we uh, end the podcast? No, I think this is a, these are all great questions. And um, I, I think it's also a very stimulating topic because like you said, there is not a lot. Uh, one more thing you just, um, you mentioned in terms of watch and wait, I, I just want to emphasize this one more time. I have seen a patient with chylothorax go through that watch and wait process. Um, and, um, and then the decision to let's do something like IR, but at that point, the patient was too sick and too mm -hmm. malnourished and too uh, and infected with um, sepsis and everything because of immunosuppression. So that weight portion has to be very, um, it has to be in quotation. So a very careful decision in terms of how long you wanna wait. You don't wanna wait until the patient is so sick that they can't really tolerate anything else. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been very careful with not uh, you know, specifying uh, How long numbers, right? Yeah, because one week, two week, 500 cc's, 1000 cc's a day, you know, all these numbers that are quoted in different studies. I think it's so scenario specific. Yeah. That, yeah. that just saying that 500 cc's a day is too much. Uh, 600 is uh, way too much or 400 is not, you know, I think that makes it very confusing. Yes, so. exactly. And since it is scenario and patient specific, um, I personally, chylothorax is not a very, very common occurrence. And I like to, um, depending on the etiology, I like to approach it in a multidisciplinary fashion. So either with a surgeon or with a rad interventional radiologist, with a, uh, you know, oncologist, uh, it's always helpful to have other people on board who know about what's going on with the patient. And for our listeners, if your MDD doesn't suffice, shoot Dr. Shojai an email. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, Samira. This Thank has been you fantastic. so much, Judith. Thank you.